speeds up after time. Let's see. Good evening, Melroseians the world over. I'm Tom Catalini. I'm Sam Hammer. Where is everybody? We know, Jen, we know Jen is on sabbatical. Shampoo is uh, marching through the woods in his snowshoes. He's shoes washing somewhere. his hair. He's washing his hair. <laughs> and so tonight it is uh, Sam Hammer and Tom Catalini here to co-host Let's Talk Melrose Melrose. And we can, we're still two Melroseians that can talk. We're good. What? What? It is live takeover episode. I could have predicted this on Facebook. Um, Eugene, you're still beautifully muted. She's coming. She's coming, folks. Hey, Conchetta. Hi. What's up, Melrose? <laughs> thank you for thank you for joining in right as it, before everybody changed the channel when we said it was just Sam and I. For the I can hear you finally. I don't know anything you said. I just saw my face appear on screen. So it was mostly it was mostly just talking about you and what a treat it is to have you back on this show. Eugenia Gibbons, the OG of Let's Talk Melrose Melrose. She is back in the house. But everything is extraordinarily loud. So also typing. I can hear you typing. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. Side. It reminds me okay. of Jen. It does. <laughs> well, thank you both for coming. Um, you're saving uh, the show for the evening. Um, and we have really not much to talk about. But coming up later with a lot to talk about is um, Dana LeWinter, who is um, a Melrosian and was on the Melrose production. <laughs> you're texting. You're texting somebody on the side. <laughs> Gibbons. It's like the cat. Oh, the cat me where he's like, oh, cat just. <laughs> She's gone. She's gone. She's out. That's a mic drop. That's all right. We'll cover for her till she gets back. I, again, not not at all unprecedented for a co-host to come and go during the show. Well, I was about to say you run a tight ship, Tom. You and Sam, you kicked her right on out. Yeah, you you know what? It's like that. You ever see that movie commercial where the where the uh, the families go into the movies and they're rushing in to get I don't know they're rushing in for some reason before the movie starts and one of the kids falls in the parking lot and the mother goes, "Leave them, leave them." You don't remember that show? It was a commercial. It wasn't a show. It was a commercial. I, I hope she's able to return. She'll be, She'll be right. back. So how did you all fare with the blizzard this weekend? What happened? Everybody's still talking about it. So the first, first thing, the first thing, this is, and this is life advice. The first thing when you're confronted with a challenging situation is do nothing and see if it goes away and, and if things get better. And that's what we did uh, on Saturday was nothing. We didn't leave. And it was like by 5 p.m. the governor was making a storm update because we were doing just whatever, uh, entertaining ourselves in the house. Around 5 o'clock, the governor is talking. So I was like, should I go out and shovel or snowplow? And they said it was a couple more hours of the storm, wind blowing. So we didn't do anything till Sunday morning. And then we cleared it then. Conchetta, what did you do mm -hmm. for the storm? Um, oh, wow. Eugenia gets to come back. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So this is our was our first blizzard as new homeowners. And like, we don't have like a whole lot of 
front yard space. So I was thinking, well, we'll be fine without a snowblower this first year. Like I grew up in Boston. I'm used to like shoveling. It's fine. It was not fine. I am not okay. My body is jacked up. Jerron's body is jacked up. I don't know. We didn't even, okay. We didn't even like fully shovel out our driveway. We only shoveled out like one section and our two cars, we just like maneuver them to get out. It's ridiculous. What Did was you do it Saturday wearing? or Sunday? Did you wait till Sunday? I'm curious on this. Um, I started a little bit Saturday and did. then we finished on, we didn't finish. We did more. <laughs> and you know what? It's going to melt soon. My body, <laughs> but I think I think some of our top fans want to know what Jerron was wearing when he was shoveling. Was he tanky. His tanky, his tanky and Birkenstocks, or what was he wearing? No, but he was wearing like um like a bubble vest and like a cap. I, I just I was like, you don't, you're not properly dressed, and a scarf. <laughs> <laughs> I just live here. I don't make the rules. Of that. <laughs> Now, Eugenia, you yeah, I want to know about Eugenia. Well, Eugenia and Sam are both on hills, I know for sure. And so yeah. how, did, how did you, how did that work out during this? And did you, did anybody else just stay in and hide on Saturday and wait till Sunday oh, to show up? We did. So can you guys hear me? Yes. yes. Oh, excellent. I was having all kinds of technical difficulties. Um, I escaped with Sam and several others. We ran further north to avoid the storm. We rode it out with other friends. And then when I came back on Sunday, I was super surprised to see that my wonderful neighbors had shoveled, well, my mom had shoveled a path from my door to the sidewalk and our neighbors helped finish and cleared our sidewalk and cleared my driveway, which was unbelievable. What? And um, so, yeah, I really lucked out. I didn't have to do tons of shoveling. I did clear my mom's spot. Um, she lives down off of Cottage and Foster, and I cleared her spot and had some um, less than friendly elderly folks yell at me from the window. <laughs> what? Yes, that was fun. Calling me names because um, I have nothing better to do, but also because they, understandably, some of them had worked very hard to clear their own spots. Okay. And they wanted to make sure that, you know, we weren't shoveling snow into their spots as we cleared other cars, which I can appreciate. It gets tr um, tricky. I was not doing that, though. So I didn't really appreciate being called names. But um, apparently that's something that happens a lot. Happened to another friend in Boston. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, in Boston. Absolutely. Mm hmm. Yep. But it was good. We we beat the storm, right, Sam? I think we beat we the storm. Did. Card games, eating a lot of food, having a lot of good, having fun. Hey, you know, uh, either fight or run away. Fight, fight or flight. You got to pick one. Yeah, Conchetta and I fought the good fight, and you guys uh, ran away. I'll tell you what. I, I'll tell you what. Uh, after all the hard work clearing out on Sunday, went uh, for the first time with some friends uh, snowshoeing up in the fells, which oh. was a lot of fun. Very nice. Look at those people. So I'm sure that it, was fun. I don't like being cold. So that it is wasn't not that my... cold. It wasn't that cold. And it's uh, it's quite similar to walking, but um, it's called snowshoeing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's walking with shoes meant for snow in yeah. cold weather. Yeah. I have to say it was a lot of fun. So I'd never tried it before. And they had some extra uh, shoes to, to spread around. And we had a good we had a nice walk in the woods with Tom Shampoo, the woodsman himself. <laughs> which uh, I did get some video clips and did not edit them in time for the show, but rest assured, it's uh, it's uh, digital. We'll gold. get them. 
We'll get them. Yeah. So how how's your 2022 going so far, Conchetta? I haven't seen you in forever. Who yeah, I didn't see you at drop off anymore. Well, I started uh, this. I started a new job in August, and I've just been sort of like learning that job and working super hard. So yes, I do like early drop off and late pick up, and I'm just constantly working and trying to enjoy my house and try to keep it clean. That's I feel like really problematic in the pandemic. We're always on top of each other, so I don't know. I'm gonna blame the pandemic. Oh, I'm gonna blame the pandemic. I'll blame Tom Catalini if I can. It's a good well, choice. Listen, I you gotta if you're gonna blame me, you're gonna give me a chance. The next time there's an issue, send me a text and I'll help you straighten it out. And All right. you know, well, we'll, you're I'm, on the I'm a I'm a peacemaker. <laughs> I'm a so, I'm a solutions guy. Okay. As they say. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Sam? What about you, Eugenia? Survive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Survive. You know. Surviving. No, it's good. 2022 um, restarted today with January oh, 1st. Oh, the lunar, the lunar, what is it? Lunar <laughs> New Year? Is that where we're getting at? I'm just, I'm saying new month, lunar new year, whatever you want it to be. If January didn't go the way you wanted it to, it's okay because you can restart today. You, you can if restart. You, if you, you know, fell off your commitments for new year's resolutions things slipped it's okay oh I'm, I'm too smart to play that resolutions game anymore That's <laughs> my, my resolution a long time ago was to give up the resolutions yeah i just tried a very uh well anyway we have to get on to the news the, the show is going to move along here it's time we, to there break. is there is no news there is you, you can play it i thought you had a, a bullet item in there well the people are going to miss it Make up a uh, lie. So, what the news? Jerome uh, just posted that it's Black History Month. Jerome, so oh yes, yes. it's Black yes. History Month, day one. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, Sam, in the show doc, you just left over stuff from last week. Is that what it is? is that, there's literally no news. Nothing's happening tomorrow because you left town to avoid the storm. <laughs> Old people are yelling and cursing at innocent bystanders. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's well. It, that is that is currently what's happening around town. Um, people are complaining about things not being shoveled out fast enough. Yes. I, um, what else is going on? That, yeah, no, I, that's actually a real thing. Like I've seen moms in the different Facebook groups being really upset that their kids can't pass like safely. Shovel your sidewalks, people. They have to like walk in the street and try to yep. move. Yes. That is a real thing. I wish someone would come and like clear the rest of the the sidewalks are clear near the schools, but the um like the space between the sidewalk and the curbs are not clear. So I saw a woman today with a double stroller. I feel like this happens every winter, and she had to walk in the street with two kids in a stroller, find a clear driveway, come up just to get her kids a pickup. Yeah, and there's no like it wasn't anybody else's property. It was just you know someone come clear all the snow please yeah. Yeah. yeah there's not a good system for that i think the city does make an effort to clear it near the schools yeah. and i think we own a little uh little machine that drives on the sidewalk like a little there's a little plow i saw somebody yeah. posted on social media that that like drives down the sidewalk so we live near the lincoln school so i think they'll go out on uh pleasant street and they'll do the sidewalks and they'll do this area but it's a problem in melrose and I mean, if you live on a corner 
it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so my critique is going to be Aaron Street, which I use to get off to Jeez. work in the morning and hills like I live on. They could have used one more pass because it was still pretty slippery uh, a couple of mm. days later. But we're not here to pick on uh, on the DPW. All in all, I thought it went well. No. When you get two feet of snow, there's not that many places uh, right. to put it. To put it, That's the right. Problem. I mean, I was in 2015 where we're like, we got seven feet of snow in like a few weeks. I was in Boston at the time and school was canceled because we, c- we couldn't even maneuver around town. Yeah. Um, to Eugenia's point, like people had kids were like walking in the street just to get around. So they canceled school mm-hmm. just because we could not move mm-hmm. unless you were driving a car barely. I so, was in Boston um, last night, Boston and Cambridge. And uh, I don't know what was it, eight, nine o'clock, whatever, later on at night. And all the trucks were out with the big machines that scoop up the snow and put it in the back of a truck. And they're mm-hmm. literally like trucking it out of different areas because mm-hmm. there's yeah. no place to put it. We could use some of that, I think. Well, one thing, one good, I, I was reading Ryan Williams put a post together. If you're following him on Facebook, he is on top of it. He is going to ask <laughs> lots of questions about how routes are picked for shoveling and snow. And he like went over and talked to the guy in the, in the, in the, the little sidewalk mobile. Yeah. So I think, uh, anyway, well, Eugenia, welcome to ward seven. Your city councilor is all is all <laughs> over this in a very detailed way. That's so, true. Yep. And I don't know what else has been going on in Melrose. I've been up to the Rising Eagle like five times. I'm gonna go two more times this week. Anyone else? No. No. I did go once. So I'm glad it's open. I think it's pause. Buckaloos. And buckaloos. And buckaloos. So the yeah. other- this is like the spot. I don't know. Like on Friday nights, it's like jumping. It's just about like this close to being a juke joint. <laughs> oh, they should do that. Should be a theme one Friday. Right? Yep. I like there it. You, you heard it here first. Buckle is so the juke fun. joint. It's so fun. Tastings and all the cutesy little Melrosey things to buy, and you know, great wine and spirits. Spirits, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, they got a good selection in there now. I like all the tastings. Uh, but when you're asking what's going on in Melrose um, is, uh, I don't know if it's supply chain or the winter storm or whatever, but um, Stephanie was in Whole Foods tonight and she said it was there was no fruit or vegetables and not a banana to be seen <laughs> in the place. Uh, yeah, like, like eerily sort of uh, big run on the grocery store for whatever reason. I don't know why. Somebody said that it was the Canadian trucker strike. I don't know what's happening out there, but... Uh, that's news from Melrose, but we have to get this thing moving. We have a guest. We have a guest. This is enough. Uh, fake it till you make it, Sam. We have to bring our guest on board and let's talk about some meat and potatoes of what's happening with some uh, planning around town. A very important topic. Uh, Sam, do you want to introduce our guest and I'll play the walk up music? I would love to. Here comes Dana LeWinter. Great. Hello. I, I didn't get to pick my walk-up music. I didn't know this was this was happening. <laughs> it's it's a classic. It's how you dance to it is what matters. So um, I think I failed, but no, we, we could do it again. <laughs> no, we'll no. do it again. At the end. We're, we're good. We're good. But um, oh my gosh, thank you for coming. We've been scheduling you like three weeks now, and we're so happy this worked out um, because I have read thoroughly the housing production plan for the future of our city. 
Um, but first, and we've we've had like several housing experts come on the show before, but I'd love for you to um, talk about like what it is you do for a living. And there's a lot of engagement in your title. Like how do you do that work? And then you were on the production plan advisory committee with Jerron Green and and Thais DeMarco and a few other awesome people. So what do you do for your day job and how did you get connected to this, the move this for your city? Yeah, well, thanks first of all for having me on. Um, so yeah, I'm Dana LeWinter and I am, um, I'm the Director of Municipal Engagement at Citizens Housing and Planning Association or CHAPA. Um, and what I do is I help communities build affordable housing advocacy coalitions um, at the local level so that they can help move forward their local housing strategies and make communities uh, more equitable and accessible and affordable. Um, so that's that's what I do for my day job. And yeah, I was part of the um, advisory committee for the housing production plan um, here in Melrose, which was really exciting. So do we have a CHAPA group here, an advisory group here, or do we need one? We Why don't, do we but but I've been putting out feelers. We definitely have people who are who are advocates. Um, I'm also on the board of the Melrose Affordable Housing Corporation. So folks there will do some advocacy. Um, but yeah, I'd love to um, partner with people to, to do more housing advocacy. Um, if, if you're interested, call me. <laughs> Just put your cell phone number in the comments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we talked about this plan before on the show and it's, it's, you know, affordable housing, trying to get to the 10% affordable housing in Melrose and in any town in Massachusetts, if you don't reach that threshold, there's this 40 B bypass where a developer can get approval from the state and override all your local zoning. So this is a little bit more of a strategic response to that. It's like 150 page documents, a lot of details. We talked about that a little bit on the show, but there were some surprising facts, I think you said, uh, and I saw some in there as well, but you might have a, a better sort of list at your fingertips than I might as far as some things that surprised you when, about the base data for the report. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm not surprised, I guess, because I do this work in so many communities, but I think people have assumptions about the kind of community that Melrose is. Um, when we talk, especially when we talk about affordable housing, it's a lot of confusion about what do we mean when we say affordable housing, who is it for? Who's it affordable to? Um, and one of the things that I think people would be surprised is that um, I think it's 36, I have my notes, 36% of households in Melrose um, would actually be eligible for affordable housing um, by the state and federal definition um, based on their income. 36% of the people who live in Melrose right now. So let's talk about that real That's quick be because mm -hmm. the, the what's the income threshold? Do you remember that? So it's 80, generally 80% of area median income, which right. let's see what that is for a, um, a family of four, the area median income is about 119,000. So 80% of that for a family of four. Um, and it's based on your household size. Um, so it's, I think that's fairly surprising. Um, and the other, the other stat that kind of surprised me, or what I think would surprise other people is um, the number or percentage of people who are cost burdened. So when we talk about affordable housing, you don't wanna be spending more than 30% of your income on your housing costs. And 29% of people, households in Melrose are cost burdened. Um, that means that you know, they, they have less money for food, transportation, medical costs, school issues, all of those things. Um, so that that really means that they're stretching their budget to to be here in Melrose. 
So, so it's tight. And then this is like a strategic plan to try and help the city move forward and respond to this responsibly over time, so on and yeah. so forth. What are some of the elements? What are some of the things that uh, are envisioned in here for the city to be adopting that um, those of us not as well versed would readily sort of grasp on to? Yeah, I, I think it's a, let's talk about what it is and what it isn't. It's a plan. It is right. not a prescription. It is, it is not actually implementing anything. If the plan were adopted tomorrow by the planning board and the city council, which is the next step after we have a final um, plan, nothing would change tomorrow. It's a plan to, to reach our housing goals. So um, let me interrupt you there and just say that that's valuable. Because when a particular issue comes up and they do have to make a decision, everybody says, well, there has to be a plan and some engagement and some thinking around this. So yeah. I wouldn't minimize the value of this thing by saying, you know, but it is it is good to understand no, it's only a plan. Not at all. I don't think it minimizes at all. What it is, is it's been a long process. It's been um, well over a year, maybe even a year and a half of engagement, focus groups, forums, surveys, targeted interviews with people who maybe were underrepresented in the demographics of conversation initially um, to make sure that their voices were heard. So it, it really is a, a strong plan. I think it has a lot of really important elements, um, but every strategy that's suggested in the plan would then have to go forward um, for additional approval for implementation. But so, it's broken out in that way. Can I ask a quick question, sure. just in general? Who sort of initiates this process? I'm newer to this conversation i know my husband was like on the panel but there's a little bit of separation of church and state here so <laughs> <laughs> like, you know who said we need to have this conversation and like we need a plan here so the the city would say we want to do it um the the state also as tom alluded to the state also says every uh, municipality should have a housing production plan um under chapter 40b um if they haven't reached 10 percent of their housing um, as affordable on what's called the subsidized housing inventory, um, you have some obligation to be planning to hit that goal. Um, and so the city um, initiates that effort. They contracted with the Metropolitan Area Planning Council, which is the regional planning agency, um, to help guide and facilitate that process. So they were the ones doing the data analysis and the needs assessment. Um, and then they had a bunch of residents, including myself as an advisory committee to kind of steer the ship um, as we heard feedback from the community and, and kind of um, put things onto paper. Okay, so it's not just like a developer, you know, who has an idea to get things done trying to- No, no, it's city-led and resident-informed um, for sure. Be because, because the city loses control over potentially developments in the city, if we don't meet that threshold and you can get a little bit of a reprieve i read in this plan if we have a solid plan that's approved or whatever adopted you know for the next year or two they give you a little runway to execute against that plan so yeah. the city doesn't want developers this is my interpretation to be able to come in and build anything and because they put the right amount of affordable housing they can bypass all kinds of local zoning laws and so Melrose also has a vision for what it wants to be. And I think you guys referenced the Mel Melrose forward plan in here. Mm -hmm. So the city's also done some thinking about how we want it to be. And so rather than have it just be totally reactive and subject to these things, I, I think that's, that's my sense of kind of why you would, why you would do this. Yeah. 
I mean, I think it's both those things, right? One is you want to be the drivers of growth and development in your own community, and you want it to fit the goals that the community has set. And then on the other hand, it it really sets those values. It's not just about development. It's also about reaching people who it's um, don't necessarily need new housing, but maybe need assistance um, with energy efficiency or staying in their homes or downsizing and staying in this community. Um, so it's, it's a pretty comprehensive way of looking at it. Um, and it also talks about some some larger goals around racial equity and community engagement, um, which are important. They're not necessarily just about production, that they're about, you know, what kind of community do we want Melrose to be? It's interesting you talked about growth. That was another surprising thing was the chart where like the uh, population peaked like in the 60s or something and it's actually lower. And so and because you Melrose feels kind of full up. Uh, yeah, you know, in a way, but there is space for growth. So the other thing I like to do when I look at these reports is I look at the pictures <laughs> yeah. and there's several sites that are identified where the, you know, Garnish Market, there's just a one story, uh, you know, building in a space. And I think that there, there's some, I didn't really read all the details, but perhaps the, the folks who own it now have some interest in maybe selling it or developing it. And so when you, when you look at some of these pictures, you could, you can almost imagine like a bigger multi-use kind of you know replacement for that and so i think that's what the city wants to be thoughtful about like what do we want to have end up there if you have the private property owner go to the highest bidder who can override all your local stuff maybe that's not where the city wants to end up end up but yeah. i i actually like flipping through the pictures because it, it helps you kind of you know imagine some possibilities yeah there's a the, the draft has some parcels that are kind of potentially in the development pipeline now and then the others that are kind of imagined that could be that going in that direction um obviously there's a lot of conversation around making development close to transit or in close to places that are walkable close to commercial centers so a lot of them try to try to fit those kind of development constraints to you to kind of make the best use of those sites that might um might be changing hands in the near future yeah, so I, I was going to ask a similar question about how this sort of, sort of fits in with the overall vision for the city. We obviously have a lot of needs. It's not just about housing. Um, like most communities in the area, there's lots of buildings that need to be brought up to code or renovated or, um, you know, built out. We have a new library coming. There's conversations about, um, you know, public safety buildings have been a part of a conversation for a long time with housing needs. So assuming this, this plan gets adopted, kind of what's, what's sort of the next step after um, city council reviews it and what effort needs to be made to make sure that these things are happening in a cohesive and, co and complementary way? Um, yeah, I think Obviously, I, I do housing as my, my day job, it's my passion. So I see housing as kind of central to all of those things that you that you mentioned, Eugenia. Like we can't have a thriving um, school system without people who can afford to live in their homes, right? If, if families are struggling, their kids are gonna struggle. Um, we're not gonna have a diverse school population if we don't have a diverse population in the first place. Um, our seniors are not going to have all the, the amenities that they need if they can't afford to stay here. And our downtowns won't be as economically thriving if people can't walk and, and spend money at them. So I think it's it's really important to think about how they all fit together. Um, 
But once the plan is is hopefully adopted, it would first it will go to the planning board for adoption, then it'll go to the city council for adoption, and then it will be approved by the state, hopefully, assuming that everything moves um, in the process that it should. And then there's an implementation phase. So basically, um, either the planning board or the city council or various commissions and boards will have to take up each of the individual strategies and start moving them forward. So that might be zoning changes, it might be allocating funding, it might be um, doing better education about programs that are out there. Um, it really it really depends on it. And there will probably be an implementation committee that will help to move that process along and think about all of the various moving pieces about, you know, if we allocate funds to this housing effort, what does that mean for our budget in general? Or how can we raise additional revenue in order to fund those kinds of things? Great question uh, or statement, because I was just going to ask. Um, so the things that I'm reading in here are solid and sound, but they're not new concepts necessarily. They're just putting the things on paper that we're going to commit to, to get these things done um, and put in the plan that we could then commit to. Um, but I think it was yesterday or the day before um, Boston's mayor, Michelle Wu thought outside the box and is now filed a home rule, home rule petition for any real estate transactions over 2 million residential to over $2 million would then apply some of those proceeds towards an affordable housing fund to continue the real work of actually building these units or building, um, building, building this, this housing that we need. Yeah. Um, are, have you seen any other outside of the box thinking that we could be think, looking at here in Melrose where, you know, oh. beyond <laughs> the plan, um, there was, I wrote it, took a note in here. There's a piece in here around created down payment assistance uh, fund for low and moderate income households. Um, that's seems like a great, op I don't know if, how the financial model looks for that, but yeah, years ago, we've talked about in the city of Boston, maybe figuring out how to crowdfund or crowdsource for some of those funds to be invested yeah. in our young families or our low to moderate income families who need those down payments. So outside of the box things go yeah i mean well first of all we already do we do have some funds that we have to or we have to spend that haven't been spent yet so just in the last year um melrose adopted an affordable housing trust um and now that that has been seeded there's money from our inclusionary zoning program which is you know when new development happens there's affordable units that are built into that um development and sometimes there's cash payments as part of that calculation that money is going to be in an affordable housing trust. That money could be used for, for some of those projects. Um, the plan does talk about implementing the Community Preservation Act. Um, that would be money on the table for housing, open space, and historic preservation. Um, back to Eugenia's point about all those kind of competing but complementary things that we could be doing together. So that's money on the table that we don't get in Melrose. There's state matching funds. We don't we don't get those state matching funds because we don't um, collect the, the local um, CPA money in Melrose ourselves. So that's another option. And then as far as transfer fees, um, yeah, there's a bunch of communities who are looking at that, Boston and Somerville and um, some of the Cape and, and Island communities. They need a home rule petition in order to do that. Once that happens, it would kind of open the opportunity for other communities to, to do it or maybe even some enabling legislation at the state that we could then implement 
um, here at Melrose. So what, what is my, my thought for housing is every tool in the toolbox we should be thinking about. So I think this plan is a really thoughtful plan of kind of some of the concrete things that we can and should be doing. And then, but that doesn't mean anything else is off the table as far as I'm concerned. Um, Just and I was, I was gonna mention that, you know, the housing crisis is not unique to Melrose, right? It's, it's a statewide issue. Yeah. Uh, it may look a little bit different depending on what part of the state you're in or what community you're in, but it's still a real issue. And so there have, and from a policy perspective, there's nothing worse than like a patchwork of city by city solutions. So there have been some conversations at the state level, trying to think about, you know, um, you know, the, the transfer tax as an option to support affordable housing development alongside, you know, clean energy and climate goals here in Massachusetts. And it would be great to see um, a city like Melrose, uh, as you said, Sam, think outside of the box and really kind of lead by example to, to help move, move us along as a commonwealth. Mm -hmm. I have a, a quick technical question because a couple of you mentioned home rule petition. I don't know what that is, and but that sounded like it was fundamental to some of those things. What is yeah. that? Yeah. So essentially you need, there's either enabling legislation. So at the state, for example, enabling legislation allows every single community municipality in Massachusetts to create an affordable housing trust. That is just a given by state legislation. For some things, though, there is no enabling legislation at the state level. What you need is a it's called a home rule petition. So you petition to the state to give your municipality the ability to do certain things. OK, so that's um, an individual. So it's not like a state level thing that and then any community can do it. Each one, each community oh, would, okay. would ask for it. So there's the enabling legislation and then there's the home rule, which allows just your municipality to do it. Cool. Um, I have another crazy idea, but I'm, I might be too embarrassed to say it on, on television. Just say it! So our our housing stock is, it is what it is, like right, right now. And what I'm finding is that as people go through phases of life, there are some families that expand and need more space than their starter home. And there are some families, <clears throat> Tom and other, like, who like contract a little bit and are still in five or still in large homes. And then even as, you know, our, our senior, our, our older Melrosian population um, might need homes that are on single levels and so on. So there's, there's an opportunity I feel for some sort of exchange of property that we can figure out what that funding model looks like because obviously the market rates would be different. But for folks who want to downsize, not being able to afford to downsize in Melrose, folks who want to upsize, not being able to upsize in Melrose, but having at least stability in our community and having an exchange of property essentially, um, seems like it's very doable for a community this size. I've heard it on both sides. Yeah. I'm not a broker, so I'm not making deals, nor again, but nor could either side afford the other property where they are in their lives. So but that's one of I mean, the, oh, go ahead, Tom. I, I was just going to ask, that's because of the nature of the housing stock, right? There's no, there's no, nobody prohibiting that kind of transaction or marketplace. You're just saying there aren't that the housing configuration isn't such that. There's enough. I think the market places. too plays a big factor. I, the, the market here is probably the biggest factor. Mm -hmm. But Sam, are you talking about like creating actual pathways 
for people to have these specific exchanges? Yeah, trade. I mean, I think there's a couple things I would say to that. Yes, we need a better mix of housing in Melrose, right? Like we have a lot of single family homes, beautiful single family homes, and we have a decent amount of multifamily, especially near Oak Grove. Um, we don't have a lot of that like two to four to five unit buildings, which might allow for someone, let's say, to live on a first floor and rent out the second floor or a triple decker, which is a a really common kind of housing throughout Massachusetts, especially Eastern Mass. So allowing a little bit more of that um, would be would be helpful. Also, accessory dwelling units. We do allow accessory dwelling units by special permit, and that's a huge way for people to stay in their community, downsize. Either they can stay in the home and have an accessory unit for a little extra income, or they could move into the accessory unit and have a more simple one level space and rent out the, the primary home. Um, so that's a simpler way. It's not quite the mechanism that you're talking about, Sam, but I think it gets at the fact that if you don't, like I always like to think about if you look around your community and you don't see a place where you can live all of your life cycle of housing as you're getting at, then there's, there's a gap in your mm -hmm. community. So is the gap for people who want to downsize and stay in, stay in Melrose and, and actually have a place that they can afford and, works for them as far as accessibility. That also is, you know, a lot of overlap with the disability community, making homes more accessible for people at all stages of their life. Um, so really identifying those gaps and and filling them with whatever housing opportunities we, we can. Whether affordable, market rate, it's kind of across the board. And like you said, it's not, Melrose is not unique in that. So we just that's why the needs assessment is really important to look at exactly what it is that we're that we're lacking and how we can fill it. I'm off air. I'll pitch you on my municipal municipal bond scheme. Um, <laughs> um, but it would be I'll nice for Melrose. Schema. Schema. You know, it would be nice if we had a way for the community to be stable instead of having to move out when they need more space or move out when they need less space. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, the market is the driver that drives people out of this town. Um, we can do things as a, a small community to to counter that, in my opinion. But although I don't know the answer, but the, I would assume is growth is pretty stable here. It is. Um, I think that you know we've had a, a decent amount of production. Um, I'm sorry. Think. I mean, like population growth. Oh, population growth is fairly in, stable. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really have like a huge. Um, flight do we T tell me do we have like a lot of people who are leaving versus a lot of people coming in or does it seem really kind of stable even now you know i don't know i don't know that number about because i don't know how many people are moving in versus moving out versus uh, is our population staying somewhat stable i mean that's an interesting question is how many people are are feeling like they're forced to leave melrose or going somewhere else seeking the kind of housing that they need um, I'm not sure I have that. I think that number that you mentioned in the beginning is pretty telling. The fact that there is a, what a quarter of the population that's you know essentially house poor, like yeah, you know that I think that's pretty telling. People will do whatever they can to to be in the community because they want to be in the community. So, gets back to that question of that you raised earlier, Dana, which is how do we make that possible without leaving people at risk of you know, not being able to 
provide all of the other things that they need in their their fam for their families or in their homes, whether that's utilities or medical service or food or whatever it is. And as you mentioned, um, you know, wanting to become a first time home buyer, the down payment assistance program that Sam mentioned, if you're if you're cost burdened in your housing, you're never going to save for a down payment in order to in order to purchase a home um, here in Melrose, most places in in the greater Boston area. So thinking about for folks who want to be able to make that transition from renter to homeowner, it is really difficult. And I think the plan also specifically speaks to the the racial equity aspect of that, which is generational wealth and being able to offer an opportunity for a community that is not very diverse um, to become more diverse. And if we are expensive and we don't have a lot of opportunities for new people to move into our community, we'll never become more diverse. Um, so I think that's where that angle in the in the plan really um, is important, making sure that we're not just talking about housing and affordability, but who gets to live in those homes. Because ultimately, um, it's not about the built home. It's about the person and the family and the community that, that lives in them. So is so the general cool. goal for these things, for these sorts of plans, for people to be able to just get into the community as renters? Does it create somehow opportunities for them like just to be here so that they can think about buying or do you know what I mean? Like, what is the ultimate goal? Like, what do we want? Do we want this to be the place where, yes, you can buy a home? Yes, you can build a life or no. Yes, you can live here and then you'll go someplace else and, and buy your home. Like, do you know what I mean? I mean? To me, to me, I think we want people who can can do any of those. If the, whatever it is that the moment that they're in in their life, if they want to live here as a renter great, we want you here. If they want to live here as a homeowner, great, we want you here. But are all of those options available to, to everybody? I don't think so yet. And so that's the goal of the plan is to open up as many of those options as possible um, and make it more affordable, accessible, um, and equitable. Mm -hmm. That point, Your point on the first step is interesting, right? Because even if it's a stretch, like it was for us to get in the game, Melrose has been favorable over time and that the value of the, the property increases, but you can't benefit from that if you can't make that first step right. into ownership. So that seems like an important lever. And then on the other side of that, what Sam was talking about, people come and go for all the different kinds of reasons. You know, you might want to go, uh, uh, you changing jobs out of state or you, you might know, not want to have to shovel two feet of snow. <laughs> you don't want to have to shovel two feet of snow or whatever. But the interesting linchpin there is like, you know, are you leaving because you you kind of have want to, to leave, or, have or it's to. like, yeah. Find, yeah, you know, do you want to or do you have to like that's yeah. that's the thing. So I think that's an interesting point on both ends. Like, you know, what how do you help people get into the game so that they can then benefit from which I have a question about affordable housing. So let's say I could afford to uh, own property, am I then restricted on that, you know, that asset gaining value over time because it is affordable housing? Like are people left out? Restricted? Yeah. Are they left out of that end of it? There are, you know, so there's different formulas, but yeah, generally there's a formula that goes into, um, let's say we're talking about home ownership, um, affordable yeah. home ownership. Generally there's a formula so that um, the next person who moves in, who purchases that it's still affordable to them with some value gain for the for the original homeowner. Um, there's a lot of conversations happening around that. Uh, I will I will say about, you know, is this an asset building strategy or is this a housing stability strategy? 
are those two things necessarily in conflict? Can we do them both? Can we can we keep homes affordable but allow people to build wealth? Um, especially because home ownership is wealth building for for people without a deed restriction. Um, so I will say that's a conversation that's happening, but generally there's a restriction of some sort that that keeps that unit affordable over time. This is so great. Um, <laughs> um, I I saw I well I didn't fill out any comments or questions on the there was a, a public comment period. Um, will those so usually people who do fill out those things are very passionate about this stuff, um, which I'm super curious about. Are do you know if those or some of those questions will become public so we can see what um, people are wondering? That's a good question that I don't know the answer to. I do know that there um, the city staff and MAPC are working to incorporate those comments and the comments of the um, the advisory committee into the next version of the draft, hopefully a, awesome. a final version. Um, I don't know if the comments themselves will will be shared. Um, and then once there's that plan, it will go to the planning board, hopefully um, by the end of the month or so. I think the date, if I'm correct, is the planning board meeting on February 28th. Um, and then from there, if it gets approved by the planning board, it goes to the city council um, and then up to the state at that point. So what have you heard as you as you engage with stakeholders uh, who have some interest in this plan? Um, you, what have you heard of critiques, praise, whatever, uh, you know, initial feedback? I don't know if you've seen any of these comments, like what's the word on the street? Yeah, I've seen I've seen comments. Um, I mean, I think there's a kind of um, a lot of like kind of clarifying questions. What do all of these strategies mean? There are some questions about what kind of growth and development do we want? in in melrose um there are definitely some some questions about whether the plan goes far enough in in some of the strategies um especially on opening up multifamily in the whole city as opposed to in in just certain parts of the city um so i think the comments were were a lot of them were very favorable and, a, and then there were comments all over the place to be to be honest um that's good community engagement though i, I said that that's my job, my day job. Um, if if you were everyone was saying this plan is perfect and and rubber stamp send it along, then we probably haven't done our job. Um, we we really want to find a plan that that is both ambitious and forward thinking and sets a vision, but also is doable and can can be completed. And so you're probably going to have comments on on both sides of that if that's what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, no, it's it's great that you're getting engagement. I think for stakeholders who have an interest and are paying attention, and then you know, I don't know how the general public gets involved. It's it's not an easily approachable topic, and this is a lovely report, and it's very well written. It's got different fonts and colors, and it's laid out very nicely. But it's still 150 pages. It's a lot. It's uh, robust. Yeah. yeah. The executive <laughs> summary was fantastic, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, really I mean, think and. and and that's what the point, you know, one of the strategies even is better education and public engagement. I mean, it is a complicated topic, but yeah. I, you know, in my, in my work that I do at Chapa, I talk about how, you know, there's people who are experts in housing, but everyone has lived in a home, has tried to buy a home, has tried to rent a home, has been wondering what's the right choice for them. So everyone has their lived expertise. So we all really are housing experts. We all own this 
kind of sense of community that we want to build. So while a lot of the technical pieces are really um, hard to approach, the the big overall goals, I think, are pretty approachable and everyone has a voice in that. So, Well, I am super excited to see what comes next. And I love the part on BP3 and BP4 um, around more dialogue. So thank you for coming on. Um, please come back and tell us how we've done um, and how, where we're going next. But um, it would be, thank you. I appreciate your time. I know evenings are, are tough. So, um, and I'm so happy that um, Conchetta and Eugenia came to have our show take over. Um, <laughs> come back uh, again soon. Um, hopefully there'll be more going around town other than blizzards and snow and shoveling that we could talk about. Um, maybe Jerome will come and tell us, um, like do a fashion photog or something and tell us what we should nope. be wearing. Nope. <laughs> what I, that's a separate episode. I need to understand Jerome's oh. We can talk that because Conchetta is my fashionista, but apparently Jerron is too. He's a trendsetter. We'll um, yep. Well, Jaron, I'm sorry. Jerron is very stylish. I'm not suggesting otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Any last words, anyone? Speak now or forever hold your peace. No, this was really great. Thank you so Thank much, you. Dana. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was very helpful. Yes. Thanks, Conchetta, Eugenia, Dana. Thanks for joining us tonight. It was a great conversation, great show, and it was a, it was lovely to sort of dig into the details. And I think you made it nice and approachable and understandable for us. So I appreciate that. And great questions all around. I don't know if we told you, Dana, that at the end of the show, you have to dance off with us. We're going to play the theme song one more time. You don't have to. It's highly advised. It's, a, it's like a key strategic okay. recommendation in our show plan okay. that we've worked on and we've gotten input from stakeholders across the community. And it's uh, it's pretty much the way to go. And if I can get this gizmo working here, my battery's almost dead. Hang on, I have to unlock my phone. All right, here we go. <laughs> and we'll, we will see you around town. Downtown.